Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. Last week was pretty moving. Tracy really did an amazing job of hearing the heart. I've, I've spent uh, several hours this week with uh, two African-American pastors and another uh, doctor this week just trying to hear the heart, trying to understand what's going on. And, you know, I, um, I'm starting to get it, but I know there's a whole lot more of what we need to do to understand where we are. What I spoke about last week, the interruption, the shaking, and the third great awakening, we've certainly seen more of the interruption and even the shaking this week. I don't know, some of you don't watch the news because it's just too upsetting. Um, I do to try to keep abreast of what, but last night what happened in, in Atlanta was a mess. The rioting, we had another shooting, two white cops shot a black man, um, resulted in, you know, I was a, I pastored, I was a, I worked for General Electric Motors Division in Atlanta, right outside of, in Lawrenceville, Norcross, Georgia, and my, our church was not too far from some of this mess. Um, who knows the reality of what's going, but but the chaos and the confusion. Now, I don't know why this black man was asleep and they said under the influence in the Wendy's drive-thru, so they called the police. They couldn't perform their function as a business. Whatever happened, a fight ensued. The black man ended up taking one of the officer's weapons, and in that process, I watched the video. I don't know, I can't judge what's that. There was a shooting and he was killed. The uh, chief of police resigned from Atlanta last night. The, uh, they called out the police. They, they blocked off the highways. Thousands came out. They burned the Wendy's to the ground. Um, glass broken, all the crazy. What is going on? Now, I can't understand, you know, why someone, again, is reported under the influence, driving, that's illegal. If you get pulled over doing that, you go to jail. That's the law, right? How that happened, how, who knows? What, what preceded that, we don't know. What preceded the fight, we don't know. But I know that the devil is stepping back and he's laughing at this whole mess. The hatred and the violence. But I believe it's the spirit of lawlessness. Would you open with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2? Let's see what the Lord says about some of this. Because we are living, my rabbi friend from Israel texted me last night, sent me something, it was like the exact outline of my sermon for today. So I sent back to the rabbi, I said, Rabbi, do you know you're sharing my sermon right now? Second Thessalonians chapter 2. I'm going to look at both the King James Parallel Bible and the New Living Translation. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, let me just highlight verse 7. 2 Thessalonians 2, 7. For this lawlessness is already at work secretly. And it will remain secret until the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. Then the man of lawlessness will be revealed. But the Lord Jesus will kill him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him by the splendor of his coming. This man will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power and signs and miracles. He will use every kind of evil deception to fool those who are on their way to destruction because they refuse to love and accept the truth that could save them. So God will cause them to be greatly deceived. They will believe these lies. They will be condemned for enjoying evil rather than believing the truth. My Bible titles this in my New Living Translation, chapter two, as events prior to the Lord's second coming. Apparently, there was some controversy in the church plant at Thessalonica. We know that Paul actually, I don't believe, ever went there, but he was writing to them. And he says in verse 2, 
Don't be easily shaken or alarmed. <laughs> okay, Paul. Those who say that the Lord has already come or the Lord has already begun, don't believe them, even if they claim some spiritual vision, some revelation, some letter from us, a revelation letter supposedly from us. Don't be fooled by what they say. For the day will not come until there is a great rebellion against God and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the one who brings destruction. This spirit or this lawlessness is at work. There's a lot of thoughts on this about the rapture, that whether you're pre-tribulation or post or mid-trib, the thought is that Whatever's holding back this evil, could you imagine just for a minute, or suppose for a minute, let's say that today, this afternoon, the rapture, the disappearance of the believers of the church occurred across the globe. And all of a sudden, that Holy Spirit that lives and dwells and is holding back a good deal of the evil is removed. Can you imagine the next day? You want to talk about lawlessness? That's why the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, will then appear. So I want us to see that Paul warned us that this mysterious lawlessness, the King James says it this way, the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he that now lets until he be taken out of the way. He uses the terminology of he. I believe that's the Holy Spirit in my understanding, which is dwelling in you and one day will be taken out of the way, and then all of this will be revealed. Well, let's turn to 2 Timothy. I promise you it's gonna get better, okay? It's gonna, you're gonna, we're gonna leave today feeling encouraged, my prayer. Turn with me to 2 Timothy. Probably a familiar scripture in chapter three. 2 Timothy 3. Second Timothy 3, we'll begin in verse 1. My Bible titles this in the New Living as the dangers of the last days. It's a dangerous time. Verse 1, Paul tells his spiritual son Timothy, Timothy, verse 1, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. King James says there will be perilous times. Do you feel like it's pretty perilous right now? I went to the gun shop yesterday or day before. They're sold out. The United States, many are arming themselves. People that have been opposed to it are arming themselves because of the fear that's coming. It's perilous. You should know this. Very difficult, perilous times will come. Verse 2. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at gods and disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving, unforgiving, slander others, and have no self-control. They'll be cruel. They'll hate what is good, and they'll betray their friends They'll be reckless, puffed up with pride, the lovers of pleasure rather than God. They'll act religious, but they'll reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. Paul wrote that 2,000 years ago to a spiritual son that said, this is what it's going to look like, son. Well, I don't know how close we are, but it certainly we're closer one day than we were yesterday. Turn with me to Matthew 24. Let's look at what Jesus said about it. Again, probably familiar scriptures if you're familiar with any of the end time prophecy or you've been here for any length of time. We've tried to unpack this. But I want you to see when just before Jesus was to go to crucifixion, he told the disciples that Jerusalem would be destroyed, the temple, not one stone would be left. And they were 
perplexed by that because they knew how long it took to build the temple and what beautiful, ornate. And they said, what will be the sign? So Matthew 24, let's begin in verse 3. Part B says, what will the sign be of the end of the world? And Jesus told them, don't be misled. Many will come, so you'll have false Christs that claim to be the Messiah. They'll deceive many. This is the verse that... um, intrigued me, he said this, verse six, you'll hear of wars and threats of wars. Boy, we heard that, right? When I hear of what it was like during World War I and II, Korea, Vietnam, Afghanistan, Iraq. But he said this, don't panic. Yes, don't panic. These things must take place, but the end will, will not follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be, now listen, famines. We've got loads of those happening. The famine that's now hit because of this unprecedented locust attack in, in Africa. Earthquakes, some of the largest being recorded, increasing exponentially, the seismologists tell us. These things will happen in many parts of the world, but these are just the first of the birth pangs. Then you're going to be persecuted, arrested. Many will turn away from me, verse 10. They'll betray and they'll hate each other. I think we've got that happening. Many false prophets will appear. Verse 13, verse 12, sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. I believe we're right about here. The love of many is growing cold. The injustice that we see, both on every side of this thing, the shop owners who, how their shops were burned to the ground after investing years of their lives, black and white, Spanish, Asian. Do you think they're, how do you think they're feeling right now? <laughs> think they got a bitterness potentially rising in their hearts as this spirit of lawlessness is now there. And we read last week in Hebrews 12, don't let the root of bitterness spring up because it will defile many. I believe where sin is becoming rampant, it's becoming normalized. He told us not to panic. But then it progresses. And the revelation of the ungodly one who stands in the synagogue in Jerusalem Jesus says, reader, pay attention, verse 15. But then he goes on in verse 21, he says, there's a greater anguish coming than any time since the world began, and it will never be so great again. In fact, if that time of calamity isn't shortened, not a single person would survive. But it shall be short for the sake of God's chosen ones. Can I get an amen there? But there's anguish coming. In fact, you go on to the book of Revelation, it says there'll be so much fear that men will even actually ask the rocks to fall on them to hide them from God. I I can't imagine that, but that's what the Word says. Well, so, Pastor, what are we supposed to do? Well, I told you one thing is we need to pray like we've never prayed before. Uh, I really believe, um, I'm being convicted, we're going to actually start some uh, prayer time, worship, and intercession time on Sunday evenings, uh, talk with Brother Neil. Um, we're going to start from 5 to 7 on Sunday nights. We'll announce it in a couple of weeks. And whoever, can, whoever can come. Um, so I just felt like we need to set aside a couple hours from 5 to 7, and we'll, we're not going to have a whole lot of agenda to it. Some will bring a song, some will bring a prayer, some, one night will be prayer, another time might just be silent. I, I don't know what God's, but I do know we're going to seek his face. And if, if it's just Neil and I, that'll be fine. Right? I know Katie will be here, yeah. The door's open, Katie wants to be there. Add a little chocolate, we're done. She's going she's to be there. I'm, I'm sorry. Katie, forgive me. Oh, okay, she agrees with me. Hallelujah. <laughs> okay. Okay, let me get off that subject. Turn with me to Luke chapter 9. So what else are we supposed to do, Pastor? Praying is nice. It's powerful. It'll change your heart. In fact, it reveals the amount of time you spend in prayer reveals your relationship with the Holy Spirit. 
Did you get that? Barner Statistics says that evangelical Christians spend an average of four minutes a day in prayer. I'm convicted about that. I don't know about you, but I just think we need to pray more. Because every revival actually is preceded by that. So are you there in Luke chapter 9? One of the things that happens um, when we start to see a move of God, that pride, exclusivity, and fear of rejection starts to rise. And I believe this, these spirits are operating. I just want to set the tone for a moment before I get back into the outline. They had just gone to the Mount of Transfiguration. I want you to see that Peter, James, and John go up on the mount, and the Father shows up, validates the Son. He's my Son. Moses and Elijah there. Peter's so overwhelmed, he wants to build altars, right? The cloud comes. They're enveloped by the presence of God the Father, so you got the Father, the Holy Spirit, and the Son in one place. Peter, James, and John are able to witness that. And he tells them to be quiet about it. That precedes in this chapter what happens next. Now you remember probably the scripture in Mark 9 where Jesus gave them power to, over, to heal the sick, cast out demons. And the Father brings a demonized boy to them and they can't do it. While they're on the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John, the other nine are down in the valley. The father brings a sick, demonized boy, and the disciples cannot do it. And Jesus' response to those nine is, you're faithless and you're perverse. How long do I have to even put up with you? I'm tired of you not being faithful. That's the, probably the most strict part of what Jesus said to his disciples any place recorded in the book. He doesn't like unfaithfulness, especially when he imparts it to you. Right after that, the three that were on the mount, they have this occur. Look at verse 46. They start arguing. This is in the same chapter as the mount. They start arguing about who's the greatest of all the disciples. I can imagine Peter saying, right? Peter saying, well, I was up on the mount. I was the one that wanted to build the, the altars. I don't know if he's saying it to the other nine, but Jesus, knowing them and their thoughts, takes a child and plops the child right in the middle and says, you want to talk about greatness? Focus right here. Stop all your competition, jealousy, one-upsmanship, give me the mic, pride. Then he goes on, and he's, after he corrects them there, the next paragraph, look at verse 49. John says, now this is John. He was just up on the mount. Master, we saw somebody using your name to cast out demons, and we told him to stop because they're not part of our group. That's exclusivity. We're an exclusive group. We've got the truth. Jesus makes an amazing statement to him. He says, don't stop them. Anyone who's not against you is for you. Amen. Now, I, I don't know about you. I, would not, I, would, I have to meditate on that one. If someone's not against you, that means they're for you? Hmm. Don't stop him if anyone is not against you. That's in Luke chapter 9, Katie. So there's this exclusivity. That's where I talked last week about unity is not uniformity. We have to agree to disagree sometimes, right? So Jesus says, look, don't be so exclusive. Don't be so pridefully arrogant. But then it gets worse. Look at this. The Samaritans, in the next paragraph, in verse 51, at that time, Jesus drew near to his time to go to heaven and he had set his face resolutely to go to Jerusalem. And in 52, it says, he sent his messenger ahead to a Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. Now, if you know the history, Jews didn't go through Samaria. It was racially tormented, half-breeds in Samaria. You were not allowed to speak to a Samaritan, but Jesus did to the woman at the well, right? And they wondered why he would do that. So he broke all those crazy racial indifferences. 
and he's on his way. They couldn't even worship in Jerusalem. The Samaritans had a separate place to worship. But it says this, when they got there, verse 53, so the disciples go ahead to Samaria, but the village did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. He's going to pray in Jerusalem. And the Samaritans were not allowed to pray in Jerusalem. It was against cultural racial law. Think about that for a minute. But Jesus violates that, goes through Samaria, actually on his way to preach to them. We know that he saves a whole village with the woman at the well in John 4. When James and John, now listen to this. These are two guys who are on the Mount of Transfiguration. When James and John, they now have faith to move mountains, to, to heal the sick. They've got it, but they've got another spirit operating in them that they're not aware of. Verse 54, James and John saw them, and he said to them, to Jesus, Lord, should we call fire down from heaven and burn them up? You just saw the Father. Your pride and your exclusivity, and now you want to kill the very people that you don't agree with because they didn't accept you. They rejected you. Jesus rebukes them. In the King James, it says this. He turned and he rebuked them, verse 55, and he said to them, you know not what manner of spirit you are of. That spirit of murder and rejection, and I believe that's what's going on right now. We've got pride, exclusivity. I'm right, they're not. I got the word, they don't. I didn't do it. And I think the Lord's warning us as a people. These were believers. These were the ones who saw this rejection. Remember he said, don't let a bitter root rise up within you. Hebrews 12, 27, because it'll defile you. It will defile you and many with you. How can you justify a murdering spirit? Okay, I promised you it was gonna get better. Let's turn, pull out your outline. We need to come against these spirits and we need to challenge what's going on in our own hearts. That's what I've been doing, pulling back this thing. And I wanna read this to you. If you've got your outline, those that are listening by live stream, you can just listen. In the beginning paragraph of your sermon outline, the interruption, the shaking, and the third great awakening, there was a pastor and evangelist. His name was David Wilkerson. Some of you know if you've ever read his book, The Cross and the Switchblade. He's the founder of Teen Challenge. He's in heaven now. He was the pastor of the Times Square Church. I think, James, weren't you there? Yeah. All right. Um, I've read his books and, and some of his books, and it's like he had a prophetic word in 1986. That's 34 years ago. Um, Mike Evans, who is the Jerusalem prayer team coordinator. He's the founder of the Friends of Zion, which my wife and I are part of, loves Israel, has the prayer uh, wall and location in Jerusalem. He was in Dallas, Texas, and he heard David Wilkerson give this prophecy 34 years ago, and I quote, I see a plague coming on the world, and the bars, the church, and the government shut down. The plague will hit New York City and shake it like it has never been shaken. The plague is going to force prayerless believers into radical prayer, into their Bibles, into repentance. Will be tr there'll be a true cry from true men of God in the pulpit. And out of it, this is, this is awesome, and out of this will come the third great awakening. Quote from Mike Evans who was there Fort Worth, 1986. Well, we've experienced the interruption, the shutdown of the world, the shaking. This past couple of weeks with the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis at the hands of the white police officer, riots, protests, violence, we're being shaken. Whole police precincts, people resigning. Apparently, there's an exodus of police from the police force, and I'm not sure you can blame them. Injustice, hatred, looting, whole city blocks. I don't know if you watched this week. It's wild. In the United States, we now have a new nation, the nation of Chaz. 
in Seattle, Washington, a group of, they call him the warlord, <laughs> has set up the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, took over eight blocks in Seattle, Washington, took over a precinct. The mayor said, tell the police to leave. Now it's taking three times to answer a 911 call. The police are demoralized. The mayor's saying it's okay, and the chief of police, a black female chief of police said, I don't agree with any of this. I don't know why we've removed our officers from this, and now they've set up barriers around that Seattle place called Chaz. They've got armed guys with AK-47s and ARs standing at the, they have a border to Chaz. Interesting, you have a country with a border. <laughs> they are extorting the business owners that are still there, but all the businesses that are there and the people leaving. I've heard the interviews of people that are hiding behind the dark veil because they're afraid they'll get wounded and hurt for speaking out that they've now been encapsulated in the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. It's just nuts. This is lawlessness. What about, you cannot have a society where there's lawlessness. And somehow we're calling evil good and good evil. I, we're in that day. It's here. The mysteriousness of lawlessness. Number one there, the great shaking. All creation will be shaken so that only that which remains in Hebrews 12, 27, the foundation of Jesus. Here's another report. Washington Post reported this. Number two, the coronavirus is pushing America into a mental health crisis. We had another suicide. Somebody who didn't attend our church, but we know them, committed suicide this week, shot himself. We've been ministering to them this week, the family. From what we can tell, this man refused. Even though there were many opportunities to receive Christ, he refused. Can't judge it, can't understand it. All we can do is try to get a hold of our hearts and move forward. It's pushing America into a mental health crisis. The federal agencies are reporting now over 250% increases in some of them. Historical waves of mental illness, depression, substance abuse, post-traumatic stress, suicide. I believe what Jesus was telling us, there's a greater anguish now coming. Sin would be rampant everywhere and the love of many would grow cold. Famines and wars and earthquakes. I had to ask myself this question. I'm not trying to draw any conclusions except I'm just looking at what I see. Why is New York, why is New York and New Jersey the epicenter in the world for the COVID-19 deaths? Why was 9-11 was in New York? Why is Fifth Avenue wrecked right now with bricks that have been thrown through Fifth Avenue? Got to ask yourself a question. God, what are you doing? Why are you allowing this? And then what am I to do about this? Just reporting in facts that one out of every three pregnancies in New York is terminated by abortion. January 2020, I was horrified when the governor of New York and his legislative group all high-fived themselves for passing the most liberal abortion laws in the nation. The World Trade Towers, what do they represent? What does Fifth Avenue represent? Is that idolatry? Is it? I don't know. But I do know a scripture that the Lord gave me in Galatians 6, 7. He says, God will not be mocked. What you sow, you shall also reap. So what do we do with this? Well, I believe that if we'll repent, the, the God people, my people called by my name, 2 Chronicles 7, 14, would humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then I can heal the land. If he spared Sodom, if he spared Sodom, Abraham negotiated with God. He says, I'm going to go share with Abraham. Wouldn't I share with Abraham? I'm in close relationship with Abraham. Wouldn't I tell him what I'm about to do in Sodom? And by the way, Abraham's got family in Sodom, his cousin Lot. And God goes and shares with Abraham what he's about to do. 
I believe God's going to tell. He's already telling some of the prophets what he's going to do. I believe he's already told in Amos, he said, I don't do anything that I don't first reveal to the prophets what I'm about to do. This prophetic word from David Wilkerson, I believe, is a promise of the great awakening. We've heard it for years about God is about to move in a powerful way. He's going to bring in a billion souls. The third great awakening. If we'll turn from the idolatry, but I'm really excited. I, don't, I sent some of you a copy. Um, Katie, for a year and a half, was at the Fredericksburg's House of Prayer in Virginia. And there was a, a wonderful guy, David Bradshaw in that crowd, the Wake in the Dawn group. We've done worship with them in D.C. And Katie was there. I'd we'd drive back and forth, my wife and I, and prayer teams, 24-7 prayer. Um, this week, there's a, if you want to look at it, go, you'll get really enthused, enthusiastic. Go look at 50 hours. Um, Randy Martinez, you can Google probably Randy Martinez. He's in D.C. now. Um, they took a team. His, his brother-in-law married, I think, his sister and uh, Randy's sister, and he didn't believe a lot of the stuff he was hearing about what's going on. and God, Stuff you never hear in the media, but this goes into 50 hours of God appearing to many, many people supernaturally in Iraq, in Syria, in, the, in Syrian refugee camps, in Turkey. And it takes you through places very dangerous. They have to block out the faces of a lot of the folks that are leading. But there are prayer cells in all these nations. And there are refugees from the Syrian conflict that have crossed the border into Turkey. And they're, and they're being saved and God is appearing. And you'll hear the eyewitness testimonies of Christ appearing to them. It's an, it's an incredible move of God. He's, he's moving. We ought to get excited that God is in charge. He knows exactly what he's doing. And in the midst of all the craziness of war and civil war and hatred, he's pulling his remnant bride out. Supernaturally. Well, let's look at history because I just love history. Maybe you're not as familiar. I, I wasn't. I had to do some real research on the, the great awakenings. But let me share with you. Look at... Uh, the lessons from the first great awakening. So just after number five there in that top paragraph on the shaking, the first great awakening or an evangelical revival was a series of Christian revivals that swept Great Britain and North American colonies. The period's important from 1731 to 1755. The movement permanently affected Christianity and the holiness and desire for God. The children, remember the immigrants came here in the 1600s. They wanted freedom. The pilgrims came. They wanted religious freedom. They wanted freedom from control. And the children now, 100 years later, why does this happen? I don't know. But here we are about 100 plus years later. The children of these immigrants, they're more interested in wealth and comfort. Sound like the United States? They wanted nice sermons and comfortable worship rather than confront sin in a call to repentance. That was the attitude. Give me a nice, I get abused a lot. Uh, people call me up and say, why are you so political? People have left the church, you're so political. Um, how do you separate? What, are you gonna go in your little bunker and pray and, ah, oh, gumbaya, gumbaya? I, I don't get, I mean, I really don't. I'm, I'm not trying to offend anybody, but we need to wake up. Right? We have to be in a place, we have to be a voice. I mean, it's a place where God has called us to be light in the dark. You don't, put your, you don't put your light under a bushel. You let it shine before all men. Now, you do it with love. You don't do it with arrogance. You don't help us, Lord. So we see that what happened. What does God do? Suddenly, look at 1A. Suddenly, God moves mightily. Remember these names? John Wesley the founder of the Methodist Church. Terry did a whole revival thing one Wednesday. It was like a dozen Wednesday nights looking at his, his uh, journal of the Holy Spirit falling, people falling out of the trees, warning signs that don't climb in the trees when he's preaching. You may fall out under the Holy Ghost, right? George Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards. The Holy Spirit moved in supernatural revelation in that 1730s to 1755 but what's, a, think about this, God knows, but what's going to happen in 1776? The revolution. What's God doing as a precursor? What does he do? He unifies the colonies. 
This first great awakening challenged the division between all the different factions of, of immigrants that came. He united them and prepared the Americas for freedom from Great Britain. And it shook the nation and the world 20 years later. Well, what happened in the second great awakening? Why is it another 100 years? 1800s. As the colonies moved, Kentucky and Tennessee now joined into, into the Union of statehood in 1800s, and a mighty new work of God's Spirit began on the western frontier. If you've never read about the Cane Ridge Revival, look it up and go on. You'll get excited. In fact, it'll encourage you to our church. There were people shaking, falling out under the Spirit, seeing things. The mockers were there making fun of the Holy Ghost. But I'll tell you what happened. There was a mighty new move of the Spirit on the frontier. Revival spread from these camps, and it came back to the cities. Millions, literally millions were converted, adding to churches that greatly changed the nature of the entire nation. Camp meeting revivals like the Cane Ridge Revival, the rise of the circuit riders, they carried the message throughout the nations. I remember John Wesley falling asleep, riding morning to night on his car, falling asleep in his horse, going to the next town to preach to the next one and the next one. The Holy Ghost was falling like power into these places. The rise of the circuit riders, people like Charles Finney in New York, Peter Cartwright, Timothy Dwight. Timothy Dwight, by the way, was the grandson of Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards, probably the greatest sermon ever written. I didn't highlight this. But he wrote a sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. If you ever want to look at it, it's in Old English, but it's interesting. When he preached that, he preached it in his church and nothing happened. But when the Holy Spirit fell in a monotone voice, he preached that message of sinners in the hands of an angry God, and people came crawling to the altars by the hundreds, seeing themselves as sinners going to hell. And it started a move of the revival. He speaks it in a monotone. He's not an energetic... But when the Holy Spirit got on it and blew on that, you cannot stop what God does. In the, in the Cane Ridge revival, it started with a fiery preacher, and he just started preaching, and all of a sudden, thousands, up to 25,000 came to this little place in Kentucky, lived there, camped out there for a week till the Holy Spirit, and they took that, and now all of those circuit riders and those camp revival meetings moved back and it fell into the cities, impacted New York and upstate New England. What was God doing? Well, listen of the fruit. You'll know them by their fruit. It turns out Timothy Dwight, who was John Edwards, this is where legacy matters, he's the grandson of the one from the first great awakening. He becomes the president of Yale College. And at the commencement ceremony at Yale, he preaches, there was all these naysayers, right? He preaches a sermon to them, the nature and the danger of infidel philosophy. False belief, basically. At the Yale graduation, it sparks a revival in Yale. Charles Finney, you know the story of Charles Finney, man. Incredible power of God on him. He was one of the first in the anti-slavery movement. Now remember, we're 30 years from Civil War. What's God doing in the period before the Civil War? He's raising up guys like Charles Finney. He became the president of Oberlin College in Ohio. The first school, now remember, women can't vote, and you have free slaves, and you have free men, but you still have slavery in the United States. He opens a college. You want to talk about boldness? He opens a college that admits women and blacks to college. You wonder why the Holy Spirit was on him. Many Christian colleges were born, and they raised up and trained people and sent them out to the United States mission field. But what was God really doing? That's 1835. 25 years later, Lincoln, Civil War, preserved the Union. Now hear me, 650,000 men die in the Civil War. And by the way, most of them were white men. Hello? Many of them never owned a slave. So there was murder and violence, 
no justification of any of that on any side. But God said, I will not be mocked. What you sow, you'll reap, United States. You're going to spill the blood of the innocent. You capture the slaves. You hurt them and harm them. You don't even call them human. You're going to pay a price. But what was he doing? He was raising up the revivalist that says, you know what? No more. No more of this. No more injustice. Women have a right. Men have a right. If you're really going to be the Constitution of the United States, children have a right. I shared this last week about the right of life in the womb. Injustice of every kind needs to be voiced against and stood and stop it. Well, 30 years later, the Civil War breaks out, and you know the story of that. But now what do we see? This is what I'm encouraged about. Yeah, it's crazy. I don't, I don't understand all that's going on. But I do know this. In a time of uncertainty and fear and the shaking that's going on and the systems are being racked and broken, the idols have to come down. It starts with you and me. I, I think we really have to turn off Netflix for a little while. I got convicted of that this morning. Turn off the stuff and just get before God and ask Him to show you your heart and what you're to do. Get quiet before God and, and just pray. Pray for the nation. Pray for peace. Pray for God to raise up leaders from all the different camps Pull down the idolatry in this nation. We can't just get an economic stimulus package and go back to work and pretend like nothing happened. This can't be. We can't pretend that there isn't injustice. You can't watch the murder of George Floyd and just turn the other way and say, oh, well, you can't. You can't see an innocent cop get run over, shot in the back of the head, and say, well, it's just the way it is. So what do we do, Pastor? One, it's start with us. We pray, we turn, we seek, we, we come. My people call by my name, my name, my name, in me. And let that grip us. And the bride will make herself ready. In Revelation 19, just before the feast of the Lamb, it says the bride has made herself ready and it goes on to define that the, the readiness of the bride is the garments of the good deeds that the bride has done. What are some of the good deeds? What are you doing? As the bride of Christ, what deeds are you doing? Are you advancing the kingdom? Are you praying? Are you seeking? Are you on your face? Are you helping? Are you in the midst of this? Or are you just running your mouth against all the evil that I've had to repent against? We need to watch and pray. Matthew 26, 41 there at the bottom in G, it says, we were told to watch and pray. Watch and pray that you don't fall into temptation because the flesh is weak even though the spirit may be willing. When I read about some of these revivalists getting up at 4 a.m. and praying for hours so they had time with God before they worked until the end of the day, I'm like, okay, I'm convicted. I know it's not just sweat, sweat, you know, do, do, do. But it's something about the revelation of the heart. The, the revel, it's, it can't be four minutes a day, church. just can't. Then you need to become a bold voice. But then you need to vote. You need to vote on biblical principles. You need to get registered to vote. If you're not registered to vote, get registered. And you need to ask the Holy Spirit how you're to vote. I honestly believe you will be judged one day for how you cast your ballot. And I'm not telling you who to vote for. I'm just telling you, you get before God and you ask Him. And then we need to tear down all this crazy. We need to have an, a, a conversation to try to understand all the differences in both sides of the camp. Well, I'm excited that the Lord is about ready to do something. He said, let me ask you to turn to Revelation 3. I want to end here. Then I'm going to have the ministry team come. But in Revelation 3, there's a really awesome 
You know, he talks to the seven churches in Revelation. They represent the actual churches that day, but they also represent spiritually the church age. And in Revelation 3, Let's begin in verse, he's talking to one of the churches at Philadelphia. In verse 10, he says this, Revelation 3.10, because, this is the result of, because you have obeyed my command to persevere. King James says it this way, because you have kept the word of my patience, I will keep you from the hour of temptation. I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. But the, 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 the ones that believe in the rapture here use that scripture because one, we're not of this world, right? Remember he told you you're not of this world? You're from another world. You may be a citizen in another kingdom. You're here seated, but you're also seated at the right hand of Christ in heavenly realms, Ephesians 2. So we know that we're from another, he says, but if you will persevere, if you will keep your patience, his, my patience, if you keep the word of my patience, this is not your patience, this is not, you know, work it up. His patience, his Word, his word, enduring, persevering, standing in the gap, standing in that place, being a word of righteousness, being a word for love. If you'll do that, the Lord says he will keep you from what's coming. Amen. That ought to get you excited, right? Rapture, whatever, you can take us through the fire, out of the fire, around the fire, up to, I, I don't know. Some people say they're pan, they're gonna, it's all going to pan out. I agree with that. Well, let's stand. Let's ask the ministry team, you know who you are, come on up. If you need prayer this morning, if you're operating in any fear, you've just not been able to rest. Some people are struggling with sleep. There's a spirit operating right now that's trying to bring this chaos of lawlessness. I want to invite you, I want to finish before noon so we can quickly line up and Take your car and line up around the school building, headed out towards Carolina Beach. If you get separated, that's all right. Just drive throughout Wilmington and take a half an hour prayer. Put on your worship music. Look at the land differently. Look at the houses. Pray for those that are in the house. Pray for those that are on the street. When you pass the liquor store or the business, pray for them. God, I ask for your peace to come, that the Holy Spirit would fall on the city, that those that are going through marital crisis, those that are in addiction and brokenness, those who are in sex trafficking, those who are dealing drugs, those who are in gangs, God, right now, let the Holy Spirit fall in this city. This is our city. We pay taxes here. This is our place of residency. God, don't let the devil tear it down. Don't let hatred rise. Don't let those who are plotting evil. When a police officer spontaneously finds a pile of rocks at the meeting places downtown, there's something in the iniquity that is secret that is already at work that needs to be unveiled and uncovered. So God, we just come. Let's put on some background music, Daniel. Let's just pray and ask the Holy Spirit right now to just take a moment. Would you just... Take a minute and ask God to search your heart. There's an area of your life, you know you're off track. You, you're dabbling in places you shouldn't be dabbling. The judgmental, critical anger, fear. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. He's given us power. He's given us love. The name is powerful. The name is powerful. He hasn't given us a spirit of fear. He's given us a powerful name. He's given us a soundness of our mind. He's given us love. So God, I pray now, Lord, that this wouldn't just be burning up some gasoline driving around. This would have an effective 
impartation on a city, on the streets, that we would see statistically. Lord, I pray for our police officers here. I pray for those that are in places of government, our mayor, Mayor Sappho, and the chief of police, and the families. Lord, I pray for the gang leaders. I pray for the ministry houses and all the churches, all the hundreds of churches in Wilmington. God, let them have an impactful difference being made in their congregations, not preaching hate, but preaching love and unity. Not uniformity, but unity in the spirit realm, God. Send your angels now, God. We ask for your angels to come and take up rampart blessing over this city, over our families, over our homes, those that have lost loved ones in this battle, those who have lost businesses. God, I pray. We have power and authority according to the work of the one that is within you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. You shall see the goodness of God in the land of the living. No weapon that forms against us will prosper. Any tongue which has risen against us in judgment, we condemn the tongue, we forgive. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you and quickens your mortal body. God, you can work all things together for good. Take what the enemy meant for evil here. All of what we're witnessing, COVID-19 and death and plagues and violence and murder and riots, injustice and racism, Use it for your glory, God. Use it for your purposes now. We are not ashamed of the gospel. We thank you, Lord. Lord, I ask you to increase diversity among us here, God. We thank you, Lord. Let the glory of God fall in your heart. God, I thank you that you are the God who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we'd ever ask or think. Exceedingly abundantly beyond what we could even imagine. If Romans 8 is true, God, we ask you to manifest it. We know it's true. We're going to believe it's true. We have to act like it's true. All things work together for good to those who love God according to his purpose. Come on. Take all this mess and trump the devil now, God. Trump him. Overflow and overpower the devil's plans, God. We pray for our leaders. Romans 13 says, pray for those in authority. They didn't get there unless God let them go there. So we pray for their safety. We'd ask you to turn their hearts. In Jesus' name. And may the Lord make his face now shine upon you and give you peace and rest. In Jesus' name. Come for prayer. Join us if you can for the prayer drive. In Jesus' name.